everyone. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Thursday, January 12th. Amanda Borshel Dan here with our Zman Yisrael editor, Biranit Goren, and our Knesset correspondent, Carrie Keller-Lynn. Hello to you both. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. It's really been a week, and it's not over yet. Yesterday evening, Justice Minister Yariv Levine published draft bills that will enact his judicial reforms, presumably. Also last night, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Finance Minister Bezalel Smotrich announced a triage plan to combat the high cost of living. We'll hear about this and more after the break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. And we're back. Ladies, we've been discussing kind of ad nauseum the current government's looming, then proposed, and now published judicial reforms for a couple of months now. So I want to know, is there anything that is actually surprising in what was unveiled last night? You know, I think Bira said it um, so well when we were chatting right before, and she said, you know, people campaign on certain issues, they make a lot of promises. What's really shocking is that they're going to deliver on them and how sweeping and changing these reforms are. This morning, the Knesset put forward its bill to basically completely rework the way legal advice is given in government ministries. Currently, you have an independent ministry legal advisor whose opinion constrains the government. And the bill would basically say, no, we'll do away with that. We can choose our own legal advisors. And more than that, we can choose our own legal positions. And any sort of legal position or advice given by a legal advisor does not obligate us. So that really would change the way that ministries operate and the constraints that are placed on politicians. Who actually chooses the legal advisors right now? The attorney general and the justice ministry. Okay, so what happens now or what they're proposing to happen is to kind of privatize it in quotes, meaning each ministry will choose its own advisor with the party line that it chooses to have? It's interesting you said privatize. What they're going to do is politicize, but what they want to do in addition is to privatize who represents their position to the government if sued or needing to otherwise uh, represent it. Right now, the ministry legal advisors would weigh in there, um, but they want to be able to choose anyone to represent their points of view, including private litigators. Um, So if, you know, you can imagine the government wants to pursue a policy that the justice ministry is against, they could hire an outside lawyer to defend them. Okay, super interesting. Now, Bira, let's zoom in on the section of the reforms that we haven't talked about that much, and that deals with the nomination and seniority of judges. Yeah, I think actually this is 
the root of everything else that is going to happen as far as the standing of the Supreme Court. We found out in the last couple of days that as part of the law change that Yariv Levine is proposing, he plans to change uh, the committee for selecting judges. They will Rather than as today, it's very balanced. You you don't have a, a majority for neither the politicians nor the judicial system uh, in it. So the new committee will have 11 members, seven of which, that's absolute majority, seven of which will be representatives of the coalition. So that means essentially they can do whatever they want. I mean, er- everybody else will not be able to say no to any nomination they bring in. The second part of it is that he is uh, proposing to cancel the seniority system that has has existed for 75 years since uh, the foundation of the State of Israel, whereby the president of the Supreme Court, the head of the Supreme Court, has always been the most senior judge at the time. So the judges in Israel uh, retire They are not for life. They retire at the age of 70. So that means that uh, once the most senior judge retires, the next senior judge becomes the uh, president of the Supreme Court. The current uh, president of the Supreme Court, Esther Chayut, is set to retire in October 2023, in a few months. And the next in line to replace her uh, is actually her deputy right now, uh, Uzi Fogelman, but he's set to retire just a few months after her. So he wavered his presidency. So therefore, Yitzhak Amit is supposed to be the next president. However, Yitzhak Amit is a super liberal judge. He's considered one of the more liberal judges on the bench. And this has been a red flag for the right-wing coalition. So what Levin is now proposing in his law is that not only will the seniority be banished, they can essentially nominate whoever they want to be the chief justice of the Supreme Court, but also they can bring in somebody from the outside. That is, the law today says that the president of the the chief justice has to be one of the justices on the Supreme Court, and Levine is changing this to say that it doesn't necessarily have to be one of the judges. Now, everybody brings the example of the United States. John Roberts, Chief Justice, was uh, essentially nominated and selected to be uh, Chief Justice by uh, George W. Bush uh, in 2007, having not sat on the Supreme Court before. However, there is a major difference. A, in the United States, the justices are appointed for life. So therefore, there is a sense in saying that you need to select a justice once in a while rather than just letting the seniority part of it work. B, and the, the second part is, and the most important difference is that Justice Roberts was a, a judge in the appeals court, in the federal appeals, appeals court of the district, district of Columbia. So he had a supreme kind of court experience. In Israel, you don't have that. You know, the, the, there's a, a major gap. If you bring somebody from the outside, he would either not have any judicial uh, experience at all, or he will have judicial experience in the district, in the lower district courts, which are not federal in a way, if you will. And and therefore, there's a major gap in the knowledge and in, in your ability to run your, your, your job as the chief justice. 
So that is quite a shocking uh, turn of uh, events to the point where a lot of people are speculating that this will actually be the point, the, the breaking point, if you will, uh, for the current Supreme Court judges. There are speculations that should this pass, should this go through as it is expected, we may well be seeing um, many, if not all of them, quitting the bench altogether. Okay, that's fascinating. And we'll, of course, wait and see. On my way into our Jerusalem office, I heard an interview with former Justice Minister Giron Saar, who was also talking about how the judges in the lower courts who want to be promoted by the political system will obviously no longer have any way of maintaining their independent legal purity, and all of the rulings will be colored by uh, a way of flattering the government in order to be noticed to be promoted. Do you think that that is also possibly going to be the case, Bira? There's no question that the entire uh, system is going to be politicized. Um, there, there's a lot of pick and choose that Levine is doing that is very akin to the American system, but he's not taking the American judicial system as a whole. He's not taking the fact that uh, the American uh, system has a constitution, the fact that it has two houses, that there's a separation of power between all those systems. He's just pe- cherry-picking something. Wait, Bera, the fact that it has two houses? Do you mean two houses or the three branches? Which were you talking about? Two houses, Congress and Senate. Yep, okay. Both. And also the executive is separate from the legislature in the American system. Right. It, it is actually not just on paper separate as it is the case here. Continue, Bira, please. So, you know, he's he's cherry picking some things that uh, appeal to him from a political point of view. A, the fact that now not just current judges, but anybody who wants to be a judge will have to campaign. He'll have to uh, he'll have to think about his future when he's writing um, verdicts. Um, if any topic that has anything to do with the political mindset, even if it's just a question of whether what kind of punishment you're giving a Palestinian versus what kind of a punishment you're giving a settler, um, not to mention, you know, decisions with regards to government decisions, you know. So all of that, even it's enough that the the lawyer who represents one of the defendants or whatever is a very good friend of of the existing uh, minister of justice, you know, enough of that to, to have an effect on the way that the judicial system works. Now, you know, he, he wants to, to have a hearing in the way that the judges have a hearing in the Senate. He wants to have a hearing in the in the Knesset uh, Judiciary Committee. Again, the Knesset Judiciary Committee is coalition-based. There's a minority for the opposition as it is built. So you're again doing taking something that doesn't exist in the United States. In the United States, you have the Senate and you have the Congress and you have a hearing. And as we know, as we well know, you know, Obama wanted Mary Garland to be the Supreme Court judge. He couldn't pass it through the houses because in the United States, the uh, executive branch doesn't necessarily have control over the houses. In Israel, it always has control. You don't have a, a government without 61 majority and therefore everything that is now being done is de facto breaking down any uh, checks and balances and moving the entire judiciary power into the hands of the of the government so that's quite shocking okay we'll take a short break now 
The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Now, almost at the same time that Levine was unveiling the judicial reforms, Netanyahu and Smotrich had their own unboxing of a Band-Aid-like set of proposals to help out the average Yossi Cohen here in Israel. What were they, carry? <laughs> average Yossi Cohen, I, I, I like that phrase a lot. The proposals were kind of branded as an emergency measure. Um, I'd like to say that they're quite de minimis and, and won't really move the needle on cost of living. At most, they offer up to a few hundred shekels a month to some families, um, even less to people like me who are single without children, about 70 shekels a month if I if I make the average salary. So let's just start with that. This is not a sweeping cost of living plan. It does not at all address the roots of cost of living. What it will do is four simple things. It will freeze uh, the expected 1% uh, price hike in uh, municipal property taxes. It would reduce price hikes, meaning that the prices of electricity and water will still increase, but less so. Um, And it will also remove um, about 10 10 argorot, so you know, the equivalent of 10 cents on a dollar, a 10 agarot on the, on the shekel from fuel prices for the next year, uh, meaning that the last fuel price hike in January will be essentially rolled back and that any future price hikes will also be a little bit reduced. These are really, really small measures. Uh, Netanyahu claims that they will help roll back uh, Israel's climbing inflation, which reached 5.3% at the end of last year, because they address these building blocks of the economy, utilities, really core things that everyone needs to to pay. Um, it's also worth noting that the expected 8% electricity hike, which has now been reduced to 2.5%, is part of the reason why we just had a product-based uh, wave of price increases. A lot of manufacturers cited the electricity hike as a reason to raise their prices quite extremely. Um, it's unclear whether or not these manufacturers will now roll back prices. Uh, Israel doesn't have a very storied history of uh, price reductions only really increases in terms of products. Um, So let's see if this actually reduces cost of living or just kind of creates a a temporary windfall and a quick soundbite for the government. Okay, yesterday as well, what a busy day yesterday, the bill that would revoke Israeli citizenship for terrorists advanced and in a pretty consensus kind of way. Tell us more about this particular piece of legislation, Carrie. Yeah, so a bill um, was submitted uh, kind of timed to the release of Israel's longest serving uh, terror convict, um, a man who killed uh, an Israeli soldier back in 1980. His name's Karim Muniz. He was released after 40 years imprisonment last week, and he was received in his northern Israeli home to much fanfare. There was a huge celebration. This really annoyed people. And so a bid uh, that has been seen in the past was renewed to... um, revoke the citizenship of Israeli citizens and permanent residents, so also revoking residency, um, who are convicted of a terror offense, actually incarcerated for that terrorist offense, and receive money from the Palestinian Authority 
in connection to that offense. Um, this bill received really wide support. Um, they had about seven different measures that were submitted uh, by coalition as well as opposition MKs, not just right-wing opposition MKs, also centrist opposition MKs, and um, something between 70 and, you know, 100 MKs, depending on on um, the count per bill, uh, voted for these measures, which is really extraordinary, the the wide support they received on their preliminary reading. They still have three more votes in the Knesset to go in order to become law. Uh, and they do have some opposition. I, I will note that one of the Knesset's most venerated and senior uh, Arab lawmakers, himself actually a former advisor to uh, then PLO chairman, uh, the Palestinian Authority chairman then, uh, Yasser Arafat, said that this was a racist bill. Um, he's right in saying that the bill was cleverly constructed to only apply to Arab terrorists, not Jewish terrorists, because it has the pay, PA uh, money component to it. Jewish terrorists would not receive funds from the Palestinian Authority. And so he says, you know, this bill doesn't apply to the terrorist who killed the Dwabisha family in the West Bank, does not apply to the killer of uh, Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, who were Jews. This is a racist bill. Really interesting. Now, Bira, just to end with a palate cleanser, I want to hear about a Zman Yisrael article that talks about Israelis' eating habits. So what are some, forgive the pun, takeaways? Well, if you think that everything we've talked about is cause for some good comfort food, let me tell you this. This week, the uh, Global Nutrition Report was published. It's a, it's a, a report that comes out every year about various countries and their eating habits. And according to the report, we Israeli eat 10 times more red meat than the recommended amount per day, five times more fish, and five times more dairy product. At the same time, we only eat a quarter of, of the recommended vegetarian amount. And the only thing, in fact, that we, we eat properly is nuts. So that's that's how it goes here. And this obviously has major ramifications for the health uh, of Israelis. Um, we're number one in the world as far as poultry goes, uh, as far as eating chicken, because obviously because we don't eat pork. But what we do is because it's kosher, it has a lot of salt in it. And we usually eat it like schnitzel, you know, uh, so it's fat. And therefore, we have one of the highest rising obesity uh, trends in the world. During the corona uh, virus um, pandemic, for example, two thirds of the hospitalized um, infected people were suffering from obesity and from uh, complications of coronavirus due to uh, overweight. So there you have it. Wow, shocking. Not the palate cleanser I was looking for, <laughs> but we'll take it anyway. <laughs> Bira Kerry, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time. Shalom. Shalom.